Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Nick Lippis, and welcome to the Built for Trust podcast, where you'll get to hear from all the folks who are building and shaping AI enterprise infrastructure. Now, let's get right into it with our guests. Thanks for joining the podcast. You know, it's uh, always great to chat with you and um, and kind of uh, go over uh, various topics. But I want to do something a little bit different, you know, for this is that, like, I feel like I'm always like so privileged. I get to like talk to like so many different folks, you know, um, that not a lot of people, you know, hear, you know, that, that are in the industry or hear from that are in the industry. So um, we're going to like kind of let them, you know, kind of open up that window uh, for everyone. So why don't we start a little bit about kind of your career, your background, obviously you work at Fidelity now, you know, and you've been in kind of IT, you know, for a long time, but I want you to just give everyone a little bit of an idea of what that journey has been like over the last couple of decades. Ooh, last couple of decades. Well, it would have started when I was fished out of one company to go to another company. I was just exploring salaries and found out that where I was at, you know, was really underpaid. And uh, this was one of those headhunting services. So of course they're gonna say all that stuff and tell you all these things, but it ended up being a great deal, almost doubled salary, get to do similar things and expanded role. And that was my uh, first venture into management. Mm. And this was a course on the technical side because we were deep into Java at that point in time. And it was a, a smaller team um, for a financial company. I know, imagine that, <laughs> me at a financial right. company. And But we had a blast. We had a lot of fun. Um, this was the first time taking an approach of small sets of work. This was waterfall back then, but we had monthly releases to production. So mm. it was my first venture into doing things slightly different and in growing in that way. Mm. And I learned a lot about people, a lot about working within large organizations and how important people are in general. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. that transitioned over to discovering where I'm at today through many different adventures of the previous place. Um, yeah. Some of the adventures were uh, compliance, governance, um, networking infrastructure, you know, server infrastructure, architecture. Um, you kind of name it. I was the troubleshooter there. So if there was an issue somewhere, I would go in and fix it and optimize it and make it better than go on to the next thing. And so, uh, of course, that's always a lot of fun. But yeah, you were the ninja. You were the tech ninja. <laughs> I don't know about that, but it was a lot of fun. And I got yeah. to meet a lot of people, got to help in a lot of different areas. And uh, in general, just a great grooming to have a very wide knowledge base over quite mm -hmm. a few different areas. But the emphasis was always in technology. Now, yeah. how I was different is I would always put the emphasis on people with the technology being the background. So mm -hmm. I would kind of go both directions. You know, I had uh, some really good people that were helping me in making that transition to making the emphasis on people. Yeah. And then in the latest role, I've been through several roles in the latest company. You know, they brought me over as an architect, um, leading a group of people. 
And that transitioned into multiple roles, you know, being on the fast track for a while. But honestly, the, the stress and the work of being on the fast track, you know, I was told I was going to be the next CTO, the next uh, CIO and all of these mm. things. But the hours putting in the lack of family time, all mm. of those things put together, I reassessed myself and I didn't like the way I was going. So yeah. I made a conscious decision to make a change and go into cloud architecture. Imagine that where I'm at today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this was quite a while. It only sounds like a downgrade. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, you're going to be the CTO. You're going to be the CIO. The CIO. All right, no, I'm going to do this with cloud architecture. <laughs> it was the best thing I ever did. And so, you know, the oh, stress. Yeah, especially at the time, yeah. Every day is a blast and a lot of fun. I get to emphasize on all of the great things that I loved about all the things and all the previous different roles. And I get to help people nonstop. Hmm. So for awesome. me, and this was the best move I ever did and the most fulfilling. And with the transitions over time, as I learned more and more, you know, in the beginning, of course, we didn't know about the cloud anymore than anyone else. We were growing and learning as we went. But we had a really different approach. We had a risk averse approach where we would go in and analyze every individual service from a cloud provider to understand the merits of it, you know, from a security point of view, from a functionality point of view. And yeah. if it didn't meet our core requirements, it just wasn't allowed. So mm -hmm. that way we could have safety as we were going to the cloud. And I won't yeah. mention the vendors, but the first uh, CSP we looked at, it didn't have what we needed from a resiliency point of view. And mm -hmm. so they were scrapped and we went to another vendor as our primary vendor. You yeah. know, we're now in a mode where we're 70%, uh, 30% between a couple different vendors and always evaluating new vendors. Yeah. And so that's kind of like an abbreviated version of the fun that I've been having for the past uh, couple decades. Yeah, well, well, that's really what a great journey. Um, you know, it's like a, a lot of time spent on prem, and then also um, then kind of uh, transitioned and fo focused on the cloud, like when the cloud became um, really popular. So I got to ask, like, you know, maybe one question on on that journey is that uh, a lot of companies struggle with um, IT as a cost center versus like IT as kind of a you know really kind of a business driver, right? You know, uh, a digital enabler. Um, when did you see that shift start to happen away from kind of cost center into, um, not exactly a business unit, but being either closer to business units or really just being part of the revenue generation, uh, discussion. That is a transition that started maybe a decade ago and mm -hmm. will take years to completely saturate you know, very large companies, you know, because every part of a company will tend to move at a different pace because they have different strategies and different things they're starting to achieve. But yeah. pockets that recognized it first, of course, they reap the benefits and then other people see that and it creates a domino effect of other groups also wanting to get on board. Now, when you combine that with making things easier for teams, easier to make the transitions, easier to make the changes, 
then you know you can get even more people on board the business units you know they have this yearly uh, game that they play they have the business outcomes that they need to achieve yeah. but then there are technical things that us technologists that we want them to enable because we know it'll help them but how do you tell that story how do you mm -hmm. tell the story about how by doing these things is going to make life easier for them well, if we integrate their goals and what they're trying to achieve each year with the stories we're telling so that they're really one story instead of decoupled stories, mm -hmm. then you have much better success. And we can do that by understanding the business goals and business strategies and then fitting the things that we're working on, the things we're standardizing, the things we're automating. So it fits into those business goals. With that approach, we've had much better buy-in because then all you're doing, you're seeing the path they want to go, and then you're yeah. making it easier for them to achieve the same path. It's just doing it with the technology infrastructure and all the security setups that you need them to take in a much faster way. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting um, kind of approach. It's an organizational approach and you know a real partnership. Uh, approach between um, kind of IT and uh, and business units, so that you're part of their success, you know, in a you know in an ingrained kind of sticky way, you know. So that's um, yeah, okay, awesome, yeah, very good. So um, one one more quick question, you know, on on the whole journey thing. Any particular mentors or people you've seen in the industry or that you worked with that you know uh, were really influential in your career? Oh, there's quite a few, Nick. <laughs> there always are, you know, it's like, <laughs> but oh, they're the best, you know, it's like. If we go back a really long ways, some of them were the most influential. You know, my first mentor taught me that I can pretty much do anything, you know, just organize, talk to people and, you know, plan for success and things tend to happen. Hmm. There was a, a president of one of the companies that I worked at, and he was kind of my idol. The reason being, he's a president of a company and he still made the time to coach his boys in baseball. And uh, I thought, yeah. president can do that. I can do that. And yeah. so he, he had a cot in his office, so he would do the coaching he needed to do, then he would do what he needed to do afterwards for work. So mm. I modeled my family life after that. You know, yeah. I coached my boys for more than a decade in basketball and soccer, you know, going up to select high levels of soccer. So it was an amazing experience. I think I got more out of it than they did. I never realized that, but it was an amazing experience. So I owe it all to that person, you know, just showing the way that it is possible, you know, at least to a lot of late nights, you know, but well yeah. worth it. And How then, awesome. What a great role model that is. Yeah, go that, ahead. He changed, you know, my life the most in the most positive way. Mm. And then, of course, there's always the mentors that help you with the people skills, how important people are, putting people first. Mm. Um, in a previous company, had a mentor that that was his concentration. So he helped me with that. I was originally way too technical, Nick. That's why I had to go back for the MBA years ago to kind of blend that out and take away all the sharp edges and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he was amazing helping me on that path. And then, of course, I've had technical mentors the whole way.
to help with yeah. things along the path. Yeah, the people um, part of that, especially in large organizations, are really fundamental. Um, when I started my career, I was actually really lucky. Um, I went from college, un finishing up undergrad, to go to work for a digital equipment corporation. Mm -hmm. And um, and I got enrolled into a, uh, a two-year internship program. Mm -hmm. And we met once a week, sometimes twice a week. And um, it was like, so there were classes and they had like, you know, kind of a whole, you know, kind of curriculum, you know, um, going on. And I thought, you know, the biggest thing that they were teaching us is really one, how to sell ideas, um, how to communicate, you know, how to um, not so much get along, you know, with people, but how to respect everyone, you know, that you're working with and, um, you know, um, and just how to kind of make friends and influence people, <laughs> you know, in a positive way, in a real positive yeah. way where everyone kind of benefits. And, and, uh, that was really, that was a, that was a great experience, uh, for those kind of two years, uh, there really kind of shaped, you know, how I, you know, work with people and, you know, and my view of not so much the industry, but really kind of my view of, uh, organizations and, uh, how you work within organizations. So, yeah. okay. Um, let's see. I did want to shift a little bit, like, you know, you've always been like, you know, healthy and, and so, um, you know, uh, kind of vibrant. I wanted to ask like, Hey, what's your approach? Like, you know, how do you stay so healthy? And, you know, um, you know, what's kind of, what's your secrets? Nick, I think we would need a whole separate, uh, discussion for that, but I'll go over yeah. some of the light things yeah. first. Um, I'm a biohacker. So uh, what that yeah. means is that I monitor my health in very low level methods to understand where I'm at and mm -hmm. how to adjust and optimize. So every three to four months I have blood drawn and they check 43 different markers. Yeah. And according to what I see on those markers, I will change what I eat. I'll change how I work out and I'll, you know, just adjust things. So it's a constant optimization. And I've been doing this for several years now. I'm actually using two different services yeah. <laughs> for this because each of them provides something different. Yeah. But, and of course, probably read about 10 or 15 different books on biohacking. And there yeah. are several different um, podcasters that I've listened to on this that have been very helpful in the journey. Now, the first one isn't a biohacker, but he's the first one that introduced me to some of the others, Joe Rogan. Yeah. There's so many good people on Joe Rogan. I've read so many books from people he's talked to. And one of the people from there was Ben Greenfield. And Ben yeah. Greenfield is a biohacker, sometimes a little on the fringe, but he always has these great ideas. And he's got this monstrous book about yay thick that yeah. will teach you a lot of different things about how to stay healthy. And it's from a longevity point of view, staying yeah. healthy. And then there's another one, um, Huberman. Huberman has a fantastic, very up-to-date, scientifically-based podcast. So all yeah. of his information is talking about the latest studies that come out. And mm -hmm. he'll be talking about lots of different things to do with health, with mental health, physical health, you know, so quite a variety of different things. And then there's another one, David Sinclair. He's another Sinclair. scientist. Yeah. And... He's a, he has a series of podcasts and they go really deep and they'll go into the specific things that you need to take to adjust different parts for longevity. 
His specialty as a scientist is longevity. Yeah. And so, um, Nick, you already know, I go on hikes each week. You know, I work yeah. out every day. Um, I do Tabata. Um, I do HIT. I do those yeah. for the keep the mitochondria, you know, fresh, um, energized yeah. and going. You know, I do the uh, middle of the road aerobics. Um, one of my apps tracks what I do. I do about over 400 um, minutes of uh, that aerobic activity a week is my average. Yeah. And of course, you know, the old watch tells you way more things than you probably need to know about yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I track it and adjust with it. And uh, what I've recently added, you know, maybe within the last six to eight months is uh, also meditating. So usually mm. morning and nightly meditation in order to help with all of these things holistically. Because I try and not just do the physical, but do the mental and the spiritual aspects of it also. Yeah. Yeah, those are really good. Like um, I'm, I'm a JRE, you know, fan, uh, Uberman fan, you know, as well. Uh, I've gotten really plugged into um, Peter Atiyah. Um, you know, and, um, and yeah. his, um, book. And, um, so, yeah, it's so funny, Peter, I think, you know, um, you know, or Mick, it seems like so many of us are plugged into biomarkers, you know, mm -hmm. right now, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, um, like I've been focused on lipids, you know, and in particular APOB, um, and kind of making sure that my APOB levels are, you know, are really low, like between 25 and 40 is kind of like what I'm, what I'm aiming for, you know, there, um, also, it's like I've just started the process, you know, of um, of quarterly uh, kind of um, blood analysis and looking mm -hmm. at that uh, to guide supplementation, you know. Um, so like, you know, kind of vitamin D and, you know, and um, and K2 and um, B, B3 and um, and folic. Um, it's, you know, those were the ones I was kind of a little deficient in. But like, you know, so I didn't, you know, I'm just starting kind of on that journey uh, of biomarkers. I've always been um, exercising like all the time. Like I probably work out at least six times a week, maybe not always like five, six times a week, you know, and um, I cycle a lot. I bike a lot, you know, um, you know, so that's, you know, kind of get my heart rate, you know, uh, up, but, um, uh, but anyway, I'm, but I'm getting more into like, uh, I've always done weight training, um, but I'm starting to actually shift a little bit more towards weight training. Uh, and a little bit less towards vigorous, you know, cardio, you know, a little bit more zone two cardio um, and just more weight training um, as well. So it's just kind of keep healthy, you know. It's a lifetime thing and it's so much fun and you see the results and that is just energizing to do more. Yeah. And so it's just a it's domino effect of, you yeah. know, just helping yourself to be healthy. Yeah. I think like all of us IT guys, you know, um, we have an affinity for numbers and for metrics. And so mm -hmm. uh, biomarkers are our natural tendency, you know, yeah. for everyone to start, you know, going towards. So um, that's actually, that was fascinating. I didn't know, um, you know, that you were, um, you know, kind of into whole biohacking and really kind of looking at that stuff. So that was actually fascinating. That was great, great to hear. Um, but I think I want to start shifting us a little bit, you know, back towards uh, industry stuff. You know, we've had like 2023 um, was a kind of a contraction year, right? You know, for um, for uh, for tech, um, especially like in in the cloud, in terms of like the growth rates really um, kind of got cut in half from what they were projected like during the pandemic. 
But um, so what do you what did you walk away with with 2023? Like what was salient? What kind of stuck out? You know, um, that happened either in 2023 or maybe just overall trends that happened in 2023 that are now kind of going to reshape this new year that we're into. A couple things. And Nick, we have such exposure to what different companies are doing in the market that we have a pretty good perspective on the good things going on and the bad things going on. And unfortunately, uh, many companies, when they first go into something like the cloud, they do a, a model that tends to cost them more than what they're doing, you know, on site today. And, you know, that's the lift and shift model where you just move it over. And the companies that assess things and take the time to refactor and adjust, then they have a much better experience. You know, things are usually faster and less expensive. Now, why does that matter for 2023? When people are tightening their belts, then mm -hmm. they can't take the hit of an extra expense. So we'll probably see a, a couple different things. You know, the people that were doing it the non-optimal way, we're going to see them really slow down because they can't afford to continue, you know, spending that much money. But the people that take that measured approach, that mm. identify the areas where they really can help themselves, the company and the customers by making the move, then they'll accelerate. Mm. And just so that they can get those, you know, savings even faster to help their bottom line. So I think we're going to see a big shift and you're going to be able to identify the companies, you know, what group they land in. Do they have a really good plan that's going to mm -hmm. allow them to go to the cloud, save money, be secure and meet all of their business needs? Or they do they need to contract and do yeah. they need to stay on site more and weather the storm before they're able to go? Now, of course, it's never just that simple. There mm -hmm are so many other things that can help both sides of the equation in order to uh, to cut the costs and to make things a little bit more streamlined. I don't know if you want to touch on any of those details. Yeah, no, I'm thinking, so I, I think it's, you know, um, the way I process that is that, hey, it's really all about making sure that when you're kind of moving into um, kind of a new domain, whether that's cloud or whatever, you know, it's that you really kind of do the diligence and make sure like that uh, you have the outcome that you're looking for, or basically you go in with an outcome that you're desiring and, uh, and make sure that that delivers. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of folks who made big mistakes around. They thought they can kind of just lift and shift, you know, mm -hmm. and that, you know, clearly you, you had an old architecture, legacy architecture and trying to put it into like, you know, a cloud-based architecture, a native cloud, it just didn't work. Um, I totally get that. And, um, so I think you know those who kind of invested in both the skill sets that are required, and um, that's really I think mostly important. I think that's kind of number one, right? You know, if, if you had the skills um, and you knew that either you had a refactor uh, or just you know new apps, you know, were kind of written in cloud native, what have you, then you probably had a better experience um, than those who were just trying to kind of thinking uh, knee jerk reaction is that you know, oh, cloud, cheaper. Oh, I should do that <laughs> and go there. And they realize it doesn't, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, if you do it, uh, if you don't do it right, you know, so, so, all right. So I think what you're saying is that that really came home to roost in 2023. 
You know, it's like, it was almost like Warren Buffett has a really great line. Like, you know, who's swimming naked when the tide goes out, you know? <laughs> and so like the tide went out and like a lot of folks were freaking naked, you know, out there. So, um, so I think that's, you know, maybe the lesson in 2023, uh, anything else, any other kind of major observations, whether that's from the vendor community or really from like, you know, the, um, well, obviously we both participate in it. you're one of the brain trust and the leadership, you know, so it's anything that you see from, you know, from there. Uh, to add on one more thing to the companies, in a large company, they should be helping people more. They, the companies that go to the trouble of standardizing things, of automating, of creating core platforms, mm -hmm. core and common deployment vehicles, then you just remove so much toil from developers that life gets a ton easier. And I know mm -hmm. medium and small companies can't always do that. But large companies that take those steps, you've now streamlined that path for people to do whatever it is you want them to do. And developers yeah. like the streamlined path. You know, 80% of them will usually take that path. Yeah. Now, the great thing, now I'm going to skip over to the vendor community. Mm -hmm. You know, we're really lucky where I'm at, a very large company. We have handwritten so many things to automate, standardize, and make our life easier in doing the things we do. But the truth is that for people that are starting today, there are now vendor solutions that do that. If mm. you need to automate your networking infrastructure, there are vendors that will help with that automation so you don't have to hand code all the stuff. Yeah. If you're deploying the multiple CSPs, you have help from ONUG and vendors to help automate that, standardize it, in order to eliminate, you know, 60, 70% probably of the fun of coding things individually. And so for people that are starting now or people that are weren't heavy into it before, this is a great time. There are mm -hmm. so many tools and automated ways to do things now. The things that we had to hand code and learn the hard way, now people can use automated tools to start fresh. So it really yeah. is an exciting time for people moving. Yeah, that's that's really such a great point. Um, yeah, especially like on kind of the network configuration, change management, orchestration, you know, um, like there are so many companies that built their own spaceship, you know, to do that. And, um, you know, and now the cost of maintaining that is huge, you know, so it's like, um, you know, I, I won't name names, we know like a whole bunch of companies that, you know, that's the path that they went down. And, you know, and now you're right, there's at least, you know, four or five really good companies that can, that you could just buy a platform, buy a package, you know, and you can uh, automate that. And they'll obviously invest in the feature roll up and the feature enhancements like over time, you know, that's, uh, that's really, that's really insightful, you know, point. I had, I kind of took it for granted. I haven't really just thought about that. I think uh, 2024 and 25 will be a reevaluation of all the people that started in the cloud before these things existed. They'll be looking at how many people it takes to maintain them versus yeah. the cost of using the automated solutions that exist on the market now. You know, we didn't have a choice when we started. If you want to go and you want to be standardized and safe, you had to do it yourself. But now yeah. there's a choice. So yeah. I think uh, upcoming times will be uh, very interesting and transitionary as people get away from their hand-coded solutions into vendor solutions. Yeah.
Awesome. Yeah, that's a great observation. Um, what about going into 2024? Um, you know, what do you kind of see, you know, um, for, for the year? We're still in the contraction mode where in the industry as a whole, you've seen, you know, last year people slowed down in hiring or stopped completely. Some companies have had layoffs. And so in the news, you see all these crazy things going on and, mm -hmm. you know, these things are always short term. And so, you know, I'm an optimist. So I'm hopeful that in the middle of next year, things turn around again. Will everybody will start hiring again? You know, things will brighten up for everybody and we'll go back to uh, addressing, you know, all the different technology things across all of industry. There are pockets of places that didn't stop. You know, they feel it's the right thing to do. So you continue down the path of making improvements. You know, I'm lucky to be at one of those places <laughs> where we're continuing the path. I know not everybody's that lucky, though. So yeah. hopefully in the middle of the year, everybody's that lucky. Things are open. People are reassessing and people are, you know, filling the gaps, you know, in their infrastructure with the people, with all the different services they use. So everybody can start optimizing again. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, actually that's another great observation. Um, it seems like. Uh, obviously, it's it's industry sector specific. You know, in the financials, a lot of the financials have been having reduction in forces, like on the order of like ten thousand, you know, or so. And mm -hmm. um, and what's interesting about this time, it's like underreported. You know, um, like Citigroup might be the only one that's you know really been kind of out front, you know, in uh, in that. Uh, but a lot of them, you know, have uh, done some big reduction in forces. And it also like seems that what's happening in the financials is that there is a wholesale review of workflows um, to support various different revenue streams and um, to streamline them uh, and to automate um, that. So um, yeah. that seems to be a kind of a major kind of industry initiative that all of the large banks are kind of going through uh, right now. And um, so you have to be in the know to kind of know that <laughs> that's what's going on, you know? Um, but, you know, so it's, uh, I think that I'm, I'm not sure if you were alluding to the financial sector, you know, but it's like that one sector in particular is kind of going through. Um, I think they're really just getting ready, you know, for to make their businesses leaner uh, and more automated. Um, and so that they can innovate uh, more. That's, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, that's always kind of a, you know, a Picasso kind of moment, right? You know, it's like every act of creation is also an act of destruction, you know? So, you know, um, that's kind of what's going on, you know, um, you know, in that sector. And I'm sure it's happening in the automotive industry, um, you know, with, uh, with EVs and, you know, it's like, it's, that's a, that's a really tough industry sector where you have this huge investment in ICE, uh, internal combustion engines, you know, and at the same time, you're trying to build, you know, these plants, you know, that are providing electric vehicles. And, um, so you're supporting both uh, platforms, you know, and that's that's always uh, difficult. You know, we've seen that, you know, in, in our industry, um, like one of the big uh, demise, for example, like of Digital Equipment Corporation and even of IBM was that they were supporting so many operating systems. So you have like these, you know, and that's almost the same kind of thing. You have these big investments in these big plants, you know, that you have to continually feed. Um, and then that just drains the organization and uh, others who don't have that can compete around you. Yeah. Great observation. Yeah. So um, let's see. Uh, anything else in 2024 that you're thinking? So you're uh, kind of you're kind of doing this. You're kind of saying, 
uh, you know, a kind of continuation of contraction and then a bottoming it out and then, um, then an increase um, happening in the second half of the year. Well, for a, on a personal note, the things that pushing for are, of course, they're pattern related because you know how I love patterns. I can't help it. Architects love patterns. But it's looking at the most commonly used patterns in the company. And then we're adjusting how they're shared with the overall technical community. You know, for example, if someone wants four nines of availability, we'll have a pattern for that. They need five nines this, three nines this. Every pattern will have a different cost associated with it to maintain it, to yeah. get it set up. And so this way we're giving the development community, we're arming them with the knowledge so that they can choose something to have a level of resiliency that meets their needs, meets their customer needs. And this is kind of a different approach and a unique approach um, because you know most people just grab stuff and hope for the best. Mm. But we actually monitor the services from the CSPs. And when you know what the availability is of the services, you can calculate holistically a pattern's availability by putting all of these things together. There's a old formula from a million years ago. It's a calculate things in series and in parallel. It's called fault tolerance yeah. analysis. So people yeah. can Google that and see how to do it. But it's a basically a way of understanding a complex system. So you break down, you know, into the individual pieces, you put them back together, and then you have a great predictor of how up will the system be. You know, mm -hmm. this was used uh, many, many times in engineering. So go back to my original starting days, you know, that yeah. uh, used all this stuff. So kind of bringing it back together. So combining that, um, combining it, resiliency, chaos testing to make sure that when you design something, it really works the way it's supposed to work, performance testing, so that yeah. when you're at peak loads, things are still running how you need them to run. And then the observability that brings it all together so that you have alerting when something starts to go south. So all these things are being merged into a single holistic pattern. Mm. And then you combine that with a reference application. So they can grab code, they can see it running, they can see, they can test out the chaos scripts, they can do all this stuff and play with it. Then when they're ready to go, they just deploy it out into a development environment and put in their business code. So yeah. that's the exciting future that we're heading towards where mm. it's the push button future. A developer needs something, they push a button, they get all of this stuff cre automatically created for them and they just have to add business logic. So yeah. we're in a very exciting year, a very exciting time. So it's interesting. So um, when I love the whole concept of patterns and design patterns, um, and uh, you know this, so it kind of lends me into like, I think everything we've been talking about for 2024 is the way I'm processing it. It's really it's it's a new business cycle around simplification. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we simplify uh, these really complex systems that we have that have evolved? Um, and complexity inflation was really rampant during. Uh, 2021, 2022, and started to slow down a little bit in 2023 as we start to kind of, you know, get a handle, you know, on, you know, on this, the, the massive overspend we did in cloud and also the massive build out in remote access. And so I think simplification 
and we're going to be talking a lot about this during during this year. But there's multiple different ways to simplify things. But you have to have a goal of why you're simplifying it, and and the main goal is really to build trust in this infrastructure, right? And um, and so simplification comes from design of, of organizations. It comes from the design patterns and the templates um, that that you were uh, just talking about. It also comes from buying. Um, packages uh, from vendor community versus building your own stuff, like like uh, like we've been um, talking about, um, all, learning from others uh, within the industry about how they've approached things, so you don't kind of go out on your own and go into these cul-de-sacs, you know, where you spend a bunch of time and money and then have to throw it away uh, and come back. So I think this is really kind of the new business cycle. It's around simplifying uh, this infrastructure and. What you just mentioned too, like having various different patterns for various different attributes of applications and having kind of um, um, kind of core templates of maybe repeatable parts of applications available for the developers, you know, it allow, that simplifies their life and also speeds up kind of time to market, you know, for them as well. Um, anything else you're thinking around like simplification and how that kind of evolves over the year? Well, I agree with what you said, Nick, and I always think of things from the developer perspective. Yeah. For them, trust is that when they see something, it it delivers whatever it states it's supposed to deliver. Hmm. And they want to trust that if they use something, it's really going to work for them. And they want that to be repeatable time after time. Yeah. And if they get something and it doesn't do what they need, then of course the trust goes away. Yeah. So it's so important as we all go through this process of identifying this, these different patterns that we work with our customers, work with the development teams, work with the business units, understand their specific requirements so that when something's created, it's not out of left field, it's not throwing it over the wall, but you know ahead of time that you're mm. already meeting all their needs because you've talked to them so many times. Yeah. And one of the easiest way to do that is to collaborate with them. So when you're actually creating these things, they're a member of the hands-on team that's creating all this stuff. Yeah. So that gives them the buy-in. You get their fantastic knowledge of how things need to go. And whatever you create will be 10 times better when you take that collaborative approach of generating all these things. At least yeah. I've got much better luck doing it that way. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Like trust is huge. Like so, yeah, like from from a developer point of view, but even from an infrastructure team point of view, like anyone is that, you know, um, to me, the the key attribute of trust is repeatability. Um, mm -hmm. The repeatability of an outcome that you're expecting, you know, um, and that's how it gains trust. And the more that it um, that whatever it is, like you know, it's like if you have, um, um, for example, like. Um, an advisor who's um, who you're working with, who's investing your, your your family's money, you trust them. You'll put all your money with them. You know, um, maybe not, it might be the smartest thing to do, but but if you trust them over a long period of time, you know, like trust opens up the door uh, for a lot more engagement, and um, and that's no different. It's a human behavior kind of thing. It's not unique to like the IT industry, but um, but it's we've we seldomly have had these infrastructures and these patterns of trust. Um, and I think that's what we're really kind of striving for in the simplification model. 
you know, so um, I think that's really super important, you know, and so, um, you know, thanks for, you know, kind of bringing up, you know, all of these different ways in which you're simplifying and which like uh, developers can now gain, uh, gain trust in uh, the tools and the resources that are being provided to them so that they can be successful and get the outcomes that they need uh, in time. And Nick, you already know what I'm about to say, but we've kind of spoiled it where I work because we've had uh, networking patterns and automation and things set up for a long time. And yeah. so that removes the toil from the developers. And we know from the industry at large, there's so many issues that happen in the networking area. So I feel so lucky that we have all that automated and it just right. works. So yeah. we don't experience the traditional number one problem that a lot of companies have. It just works yeah. for us because we have the patterns, the automation, and things are already built in to help the development community. Yeah, yeah, that's huge, you know, and the infrastructure should be there to help them. That's their job, you know, is to actually deliver uh, a service that really satisfy the developers and um, and in turn the business, you know, itself. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, uh, maybe just, you know, one or um, uh, kind of one more uh, topic. And that's so we've been uh, I've been working with um, Andy Brown and Phil T um, on um, on, uh, on the launch of the AI networking summit, which we're going to be doing pretty, pretty soon. Andy, um, Andy always kind of blows my mind whenever I'm talking to him, he's going to be on the podcast, you know, um, you know, you know, in a couple more weeks, but I think he had, we were all kind of thinking about, okay, well, in AI networking, okay, well then there are AI workloads. So how do, how does networking have to address the workloads of AI? Right. And what are those unique requirements? And then, and then the discussion went towards, okay, well, also, um, how does AI help networking? So uh, what about when AI, like all networking are nothing more than algorithms, you know, um, and those algorithms are baked into code via protocols, you know, so they're already, they're all computer code, you know, um, how does AI, you know, uh, augment and improve? um all the networking protocols that we have that, that are important so it's a permeation of there into that uh, also on the security side of things you know it's like we we have to go through reams and reams you know petabytes you know of notification data and trying to always like look for threats and risks you know um and to do instant response um so how does ai kind of work you know in that how does it you know what does it mean to like cybersecurity? So we're starting to now go down to a very different way, you know, of thinking about it. And then really it was Andy who had started to basically say, okay, well, those are, those are two kind of interesting, you know, or three interesting topics, but really the, the rubber, where the rubber really hits the road. Um, and it's in the boundary that we've been talking about. Uh, it's really around the boundary between infrastructure and developers. So um, how does like maybe an AI orchestrator um, orchestrate the infrastructure based upon all of this input uh, coming from all of these different emitters to, um, uh, from a networking point of view, provide access or provide uh, a path for packets to flow based upon dollars uh, of that link, based upon the security of that link, the security posture of that link, the quality of that link, you know, the, the latency, you know, of that link, that's just on the networking side, but also the, you know, including security into that model. So it got me really just thinking totally different, you know, about this where, 
kind of like if you think about, you know, and this, I'm not sure how fast this can happen, but, you know, as AI starts to work its way uh, within the infrastructure itself, uh, it's probably not too long before there are some really good orchestrators that automate a lot of that provisioning and change management uh, that have direct support for the application. So hmm. any thinking on that? Well, I'm probably as excited or more excited about this uh, than you are. Uh, you know that I did AI years ago and been following it. And so, but now things are getting to the point where they're actually usable and can mm -hmm. add uh, great benefits. And so I am hoping that this is the year where it's more than people just playing with things, but you have models that truly do help improve and optimize the way that companies work. And the, the normal gotcha course in AI, especially with the LLM models, is that you know large um, companies don't want their private data shared. Yeah. And so we have to be careful in which of the models that we use to make sure that you know all the things that we do are not shared publicly. But there are models that support that. And those are the ones that I'm guessing that all of the large financial companies are looking at. We're probably all looking at the same thing. Yeah. And the potential goals or the potential benefits are so amazing. You know, think of your statistically, you're going to have an issue with something. The model would know that. And then it would be able to pinpoint it. It would be able to take corrective action and it would be able to make adjustments before anything ever is affected, you know, for any customer anywhere. Yeah. Now, we've had that as a dream forever. But mm -hmm. now we have something that some companies will actually implement it this year. They'll mm -hmm. have things where they're the, the people that are out there on the edge. They're going to figure it out and they will deploy it. And mm -hmm. so there are some amazing things that are coming up in order to help. You know, we've done some things last year that were bleeding edge that helped in the financial side mm -hmm. um, in different calculations and things. And so I'm anticipating that we'll have more things that we're delivering next year also. And hopeful that across industry, we see more and more of this because the more people that do it, then it'll make people hungry and then other people will jump in. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, that, so uh, happy to hear you, uh, you know, say that, you know, Mick. And uh, because I think um, this circles back to simplification and to trust. All right. So um, this offers kind of AI based infrastructure or AI enabled infrastructure um, is a offers the promise of a massive simplification, you know, of that um, a toil mitigation, you know, in particular, and then just being able to make, you know, quicker decisions um, to maintain quality of service or keep an application running, and, you know, just happy people utilizing those applications. Um, but then you really have to trust it to make those decisions too. So I think it's like, um, uh, to me, it's like, we've been down, going down this road of simplification and uh, we're building it for trust. Um, this whole AI uh, piece now, really puts that on steroids. And um, 
I think it's going to be a freaking fascinating year, you know, <laughs> coming up and into 2025, you know, as well. It's going to be, you know, systemically, you know, changed. Like I'm actually at the point where I'm thinking the more and more I dive into kind of AI's impact in the infrastructure and especially on networking in particular is that AI represents a, um, a bigger shift uh, and a bigger transformation than the advent of TCP IP and ethernet, which was in essence, the underpinnings of the internet, you know? So I think we're in for like another massive um, infrastructure build um, but more importantly than the build, it's just another kind of massive communications infrastructure um, that is not just on the networking side, but uh, and neither did the internet do. The internet basically it was a networking technology that you know when you had that and you married that with um, with Andreessen's like uh, Mosaic at the time, it was friggin' explosive. And I think we are now setting ourselves up in the industry for another one of those kinds of moments. And um, I don't think anyone can kind of predict what it is, but I think we're all kind of sensing it, you know, happening, starting to happen. So, And I think we'll see that, and I'm hoping to see a little more. You know how all the vendors say they have it today? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. some are going to rise to the top. There's going to be a select few, and they're going to be so amazing. It might be a startup. It might be one of the established. And that's mm. what I'm excited to see. Who yeah. rises to the top? Who becomes the new preeminent tool that you just have to use? Yeah. And you know, at this point in time, no idea who it's gonna be, but it is kind of exciting. Yeah, for sure. All right, hey Mick, this was great. Thanks so much uh, for the time. Um, any closing uh, remarks before we go? No, just uh, thanks for the discussion, Nick. And uh, Hope everyone has a fantastic 2024. Awesome. Great. Thanks, Mick. And uh, and measure those biomarkers, everyone. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mick. Thanks so much. I'll see you, Nick. <laughs>